want to welcome everybody today. I know there's family members and friends that have come to witness, to be part of our baptismal service. It's such a joy to have all of you here with us today. We want to welcome you. And I have uh, prepared a message uh, for all of us, but I want to obviously speak to the baptismal candidates as we attempt to understand what is the significance of baptism, but we won't be focusing on baptism as such. We'll be looking at what it means to truly serve the Lord and what makes a difference in the lives of people. All these testimonies we've heard, how amazing is that? And we want to talk a little bit about this. And so if you brought your Bibles, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 10 this morning. We'll be looking at one of the most dynamic churches in the entire New Testament, and we're going to discover what was it about these Christians, uh, why they made such a difference in their society and in their community. And so we want to begin here at verse number 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy unto the church of the Thessalonians. Now, Thessaloniki is a city in Greece that still exists today, the northern part of Greece, the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as we know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Wow. This morning, we are going to be looking at one of the most incredible churches in the entire Word of God. And as I mentioned, we want to understand what was it about these believers? Why was this church so dynamic? History tells us that these, these believers in Thessalonia were so contagious. They made such a difference in the world in which they live in. And we're going to discover what it was about these individuals. And we discover that a lot of these believers were young believers. In fact, we discovered that some of these believers were just newly baptized. That's amazing. How I propose that. So they were young, they were newly baptized. And yet, these young believers, newly baptized, transformed the lives of so many people. And we're going to see what it was about them that made them so different. I've entitled this message, The Gospel According to You. The Gospel According to You. The Bible tells us that we are living epistles. Epistles are letters that the apostles wrote. And when the Paul said that you are living epistles, that means your life baptismal candidates, your life, like a walking Bible. We who are believers are walking Bibles in this world. 
And people read our lives, read the Bible. They see the Bible and the reality of the word of God in our lives, how we live. Living epistles, the gospel according to you. Now to begin by introduction this morning, I want you to notice the first thing about this church in verse number eight. The Bible tells us something very special. It tells us that these believers were not ashamed of the gospel. They weren't ashamed to talk about God. Uh, you know what? I don't see much of that today. It seems that a lot of us are so apprehensive, we're scared to, to say anything about Jesus. We don't want to offend people. Many of us have stopped praying in restaurants and public because, you know, we don't want to look weird. Boy, have things changed. The Bible tells us that these believers were not ashamed. It tells us wherever they went, they spoke about Christ. In fact, we read when Paul went about preaching the gospel to certain areas, verse number 8, Paul discovered that the gospel had already been preached by these Thessalonians. Can you imagine that? Wherever Paul went, he discovered that this church had already been to that place and preached the gospel. And Paul's excited in verses 4 and 5, he begins to brag about these new believers, how incredible they were. And the point is, they had a true, authentic faith in God. You see, the reality of God, who he is, was real, it was true. They truly believed. And I'm sure you've yourself, you've met a lot of people who've said, oh yeah, I believe, I'm a believer. But then you look at their lives and you say, wait a minute, you're a believer? And it seems that their lifestyle is not paralleled with what they say with their mouths. What does it mean to be a believer in Jesus Christ? The word believe in the Greek is the Greek word pistevo. And the word pistevo in the Greek has a threefold meaning. It means to believe with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul. And so baptismal friends, when you say you believe, and you're baptized, when you say, because I believe, what you're saying is that you believe with your heart, your mind, and your soul, your inner man. That's pretty serious. If you believe with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul, it's going to change the way you live. So many people, well, yeah, I believe. But what does it mean to believe? You see, they had faith in God. They believed, and as a result of that, they had a vibrancy. They were contagious. They were effective. They were influential because they truly believed. And my prayer for the baptismal candidates and for all of us is that your lives, my life, that your lives would be contagious, that your life will make a difference in this world. Somebody testified, I have purpose, that your life would have purpose more than just going to work and coming home and watching television. That your life would have purpose and significance. That your life would make a difference in this world. So many people just exist. So many people that get up in the morning, they got no joy in their step because they don't know what they're doing in this world. And many of them live in hopelessness because they don't know what their purpose is. They just exist. They just exist. And so this morning, let's glean some spiritual truths and discover why this church was so dynamic and why your lives can be so dynamic. You see, your baptismal today, baptism, it's not just an event that we had before everybody here at Logos on May 7th. It's much deeper than that. It goes beyond the waters of baptism. When you go into this world, something about your life is going to touch others. Something about the reality of why you experience this baptismal joy is, is going to translate into... into being contagious and touching other people through your conviction and your experience with God. The first point I want to share with you this morning, 
why this church was so dynamic and why they were so contagious is because they had a sense of vibrancy. They were, they were fervent in what they believed. They were passionate believers. They were passionate. That I, I gotta ask you, do, do you see that? Like I talk to some believers and I, I, I you know, I, I just see them, many, just very mediocre, casual, yeah, I, I, I go to church, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I have, a, they, and I, they, yet you take them to a hockey game, or you bring them to a baseball game, and man, they're so excited, and they'll jump, and they'll shout, when you bring them to church, and you, it's like, what, 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 what just happened here, what are you excited about, we seem to be more excited about other things than we do about God, you see, these believers were excited about God. They had a relationship. There was a vibrancy. And, they, and, and as a result of that, they wanted others to know about it. You see, they had an authentic conversion. And there it is. They had an experience with God, verses 9 and 10. And how do I know I've got an experience with God? How do I know that you have an experience with God? I'm going to tell you how. Verse 9 tells us they turned from serving idols. Now their idols were made out of wood, stone. But we have many different types of idols in this culture. We worship many different type of gods in our culture. The God of entertainment. The gods of education. The God of money. And the list goes on and on. Well these Thessalonians were serving demonic gods, pagan gods. But the Bible says... They turned away from their experience with these false gods. They turned away and they had a different lifestyle. How many people who call themselves Christian are having one foot in the world and another foot in Christ? You haven't turned away from your idols. You're still holding on to things. And you wonder why you got no joy in your life. I know I'm speaking to somebody on Facebook. I know there's nobody here in Logos that I'm speaking to. I know that. I know that. You've heard me say, you can't, you can't, you can't shack up with the devil and expect God to pay the rent. You, you can't do that. My God. Be the bride of Christ one day and then the mistress of Satan on the next day. That doesn't work like that. They turned from idols. They had an authentic experience with God. That was the key. There was no doubt about it. There was conviction. There was passion. And my friends, let me tell you something. That is contagious. They had conviction. They had a sense that this is true. Reminds me of Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 where Daniel was being tested when Israel went into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar and they forced everybody to eat certain foods and do certain things and to go against the king meant your life. They would kill you right away and Daniel says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I've purposed in my heart that I will not be defiled. I, I cannot partake, partake in these things and Daniel took a stand despite his life being at stake and God vindicated him and God honored him. Daniel was willing to take a stand in the midst and facing death yet he still, he'd rather die with his conviction than compromise his faith I'd like to know what about you my friend where are our convictions today you know Jeremiah was preaching against the sins of Judah in, Jer in Jeremiah chapter 8 the Bible says you have compromised so much Jeremiah is speaking to the to the Hebrew people of that time in that era he says you've compromised so much your convictions are so small that you don't even blush anymore I gotta ask you, do we blush anymore? Everything seems to go today. No conviction. We do what we wanna do. We don't blush anymore. We don't feel remorse anymore. 
And the reason is because many of us have lost that sense of conviction. These believers had conviction, deep, deep conviction. You see, the problem today is not necessarily sin. Yes, sin's the aftermath. Sin is definitely a problem, but that's not the main issue. It's not, it's not sin. The problem is not sin. The problem is a lack of conviction in what is right or wrong. We seem to justify our sins so easily today. Well, you know, pastor, you know, I mean, we're living in a different day today. God understands, and you know, I'm still young, and I've got to, and I have to, and you know, other people are doing it. To justify, no, or very little conviction. Interesting story. The president of McDonald's years ago in the 1950s was asked a question. Sir, he says, what do you believe? A reporter asked him a question. What do you believe? And the president of McDonald's said, well, I believe first in God. I believe second in my family. And thirdly, I believe in business. On Sunday. But on Monday, (laughs) Monday, I believe first in my business, my family, and God gets third place. Oh, really? How many people believe in God on Sunday, but on Monday they believe in their business? I ask again, where is the conviction? These candidates have conviction. They've come through hard times. Even their families, some of them, have had heart. Listen, friends, you want to follow Jesus, sometimes, many times, and most of the time, there's a price to pay. If any man wants to follow me, you must, what? Deny yourself and pick up the cross. It's not just follow me on Sunday and Monday, you, you do what you want. No, no, brothers and sisters, that's, That's not how it works. We as believers are to set standards. Like these Thessalonians, they set standards. They set standards. We as believers should be the thermostats in our homes, not the thermometers. Thermometers that are based on weather. One day you're cold, so the thermometer goes low. And one day you're hot, and the thermometer goes high. And you're up and down by the weather. You're up and down by circumstances. One day up, one day low. One day up, one. no standards, no conviction. Just guided by circumstances. No, 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 no. We are called to be spiritual thermostats that set the temperature. As Paul said, having done all, let us stand, to stand in the midst of truth, to stand in the midst of perplexity. You see, friends, they had an experience with God. They had an experience with God. They had an encounter with God. Many say they believe, but they haven't had an encounter with God. Maybe they were raised in the church. Maybe they were told by somebody but they haven't had a true encounter because when you have an encounter with God I can guarantee you something's going to change you see knowledge you might not even know this Bible you might have knowledge but knowledge without experience means nothing I need to encounter, I need to experience God. And I know these believers experience God because they turned from idols. And see the result, verse number three, they labored. Notice verse three here. Look what it says. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians. We got that? Look, remembering without ceasing your work in faith and labor of love. They labored. Interesting word, this word labor. I like getting into the Greek every so often, which is the original language of the Bible. It says labor is the word agonia, which comes really in a sense of when a woman gives labor pains. Now, ladies, mothers, uh, 
If you have a baby, you go through labor pains. Is that not true? That's pretty intense. I remember my wife three times through labor. I was right there, labor pains. Now, I don't have the experience. I've gone through hip replacements. I don't know if that's close. I don't think so. It could be. I'm not sure. I know I was screaming at one point, the pain. I was, uh, and, but I've seen my wife, and my, I tell you, agonia, labor pains, the intensity. And you know, when the contractions get more severe, we know the baby's about to come. You know, when the contractions are getting labor pains, that's the word here in the Greek. They lived, it was intense. You see, they had such conviction with God, their works were intense. They were passionate about the things they did for God. They weren't like, pastor maybe makes an announcement for help. They didn't say, oh yeah, I'm going to help, but didn't really want to be there, or didn't really care. No, mind. they were first in line. They wanted to get involved because they experienced something. When you experience something, you want to get involved. They labor. They had labor pains for Christ. They were, they were hungry to serve agonia. They really cared. They were active. They weren't just spectators. They were participators. Not spectators, but participators. Parti- baptismal candidates, get involved. Don't just sit in a pew. You're going to sit in the pew, that's fine. You've got to be in the pew. To, you know, but, but don't just sit there. Get involved. There's a lot of activities. There's a beehive of events. And, and sometimes we as believers, we get into a church and we, we, we kind of seem to, you know, almost assimilate into the pew. And we just kind of, you know, that's where I sit every Sunday. Don't, don't nobody go there. That's my place. And if anybody sits there, all hell breaks loose. Yeah. <laughs> Invaded my space here. Okay. My goodness. Get involved. Be active. Aren't you tired of being cheerleaders? You know, you ever, you ever, you ever see cheerleaders? They, they, they wave their pom-poms. They're, all, they're cheering the athletes. You know, they're cheering. Hey, go, go. And they make all these rhymes and all these poetic terms. And they're making all these sayings. Hey, go, go. Whatever they want to say. they got their cheering. They're cheerleaders. Cheerleading the athletes. Go, go, go. But they're never, they're never in the game. They're not, they're not involved. They're cheer. Aren't you tired of being a cheerleader? Aren't you tired of seeing other people score the goals while you're just cheerleading? Don't you want to score the goal or pass the ball or be part of the game? Put down those pom-poms and get in the game. Get involved. You know, friends, I learned after many years, and I've seen this, there's two types of believers or two types of people. You have the pillars and the caterpillars. You have the pillars who are stable and strong, growing. They're, they're blooming when they're planted. They're blooming. There's fruit. They're active. They're involved. They're pillars. God's doing great things. They're stable. But then you have the caterpillars. They go from place to place, you know. Never really stable. They're, oh yeah, amen. But next week they're up there and doing this and they may not attend for a couple of weeks. They, they, got, they got more things that are important, you know. And so they're, they're, they're caterpillaring around, you know, never stable. These Thessalonians were pillars. They were pillars. They were stable. They had conviction. No, no, my friends, we need to take a stand. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8 says, For now we live if we take a stand. For now we live. We have a choice if we take a stand. If we take a stand, we live. You see, got to take a stand. Where do you stand today? Where do I stand today? Oh, my friends. We've had enough compromise over the years, haven't we? We've had enough mediocrity and lethargy and insipidness, just lukewarm. Oh, that we would take a stand. 
Enough of what I call jellyfish Christianity. Jellyfish have no spine. They've got no spine. But God's calling us to have a spine. To take a stand against unrighteousness. To take a stand for truth. We have no problem taking a stand for the things we love. But what about God? We say, well, pastor, I don't want to offend people. You know, the gospel could be offensive. Well, we have no problem offending God. Because we don't want to offend people. So let's just offend God. It's okay, he'll understand, but I don't want to offend you. No, 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 friend. we got we to take a stand. You see, there's some people who have enough of Christ to get them to heaven. Oh yeah, you got enough of Christ? Oh yeah, 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 you're saved, you're going to heaven, but not enough to walk in victory. Not enough to take a stand, to be counted, to notice verse 5, the Bible says they, they had much assurance, much Assurance, verse 5. Look what it says. For our gospel came not to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and in much. Did you see this? Much assurance. What does that mean? They knew who they believed. They had conviction. Remember the hymn we used to sing? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory, diva. Blessed assurance. I got assurance. I got to ask you, do you have assurance in Christ? Do you know who you believe? Paul said, I know whom I've believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able. Do you know who you believe in? Baptismal candidates, do you know? I believe you do. See, if you don't have much assurance, if you don't take a stand for Christ, and if you don't, then you'll take a stand for anything else. It comes easier to do that. It becomes easy. <sighs> Much assurance. Much assurance. And they stood in their faith despite the persecution they experienced. You see, brothers and sisters, as they said we had much assurance, the Bible also says that they were serving God in an atmosphere where there was a lot of persecution. Do you know, back in those days, if you said you were a believer, it could cost you your life. When Paul and Peter were preaching was under the, the auspices of, of the emperor Nero. Nero was a ruthless, he was psychotic, he, was, he, he had serious issues. He'd burn Christians alive, he would skin them alive, he'd feed them to the animals. He was ruthless, he blamed Christians for his, 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 his barbaric ways and the list goes on and on and there were Christians who stood face to face says I don't care if you kill me I'm going to follow Jesus I got to ask you where is that conviction today despite the persecution they took a stand and they ministered the gospel and they preached the gospel to everyone they met because they had an authentic experience with God you see, friends, they had passion. And that's one thing you can't teach is passion. That's one thing you can't teach is passion. Passion is caught, not taught. Passion is caught, not taught. Your lives are going to make a difference and people are going to catch what you got. But you can't teach it. you got to live it. You can't teach passion. You can't teach it. you got to be an example. you got to have that passion. And you can't... Yeah, I used to coach soccer years ago. My daughter's here. I coached her. When I was in Brantford, I had a young uh, girls team. Young girls, and I coached for many years, but uh, when I was, when there was, Katrina was 11, there was a girl on her team called Courtney. Remember Courtney, Katrina? She was a horrible soccer player. Absolutely horrible. But there's one thing she had more than anybody else on the team. She had passion. Man, that she was 
she was ready to play. She didn't have much skill, you know. And then I started coaching rep soccer, which is a higher level, and she couldn't even kick with her left foot. And when you play rep, you got to be used both feet, let me tell you. She couldn't kick with her left foot even. But she had passion. And she became my best defender. Because she didn't want anybody to get by her. If somebody, she got after that ball, even if she, she, was, she was hungry. And, and she became my best defender. But she didn't have much talent, but passion makes all the difference. I had girls who had talent but didn't have passion. I'd rather take Courtney. And so it is in the spirit realm. Passion. What is your passion? Your passion will propel you to do what is in your heart. What you love, you make room for. What you love, you spend time doing. These believers had passion for Christ and they wanted to share his word with people and their lives were contagious. They were making a difference and some of them were young, some of them were growing, some of them didn't have the experience that you and I might have. But they had Jesus. Some of them were just baptized. The Bible said, verse 6, they received the word with much affliction and with joy. We just talked about joy earlier. Despite the persecution, they had joy. Despite the circumstances, they had joy. I tell you, friends, joy is one of the greatest spiritual gifts that you can have. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based with your relationship with God. Joy, the Bible says, is, is, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's what God infuses in your heart through the Spirit. They had joy despite all hell breaking loose. It reminds me of the book of Job chapter 35 verse 10 where Job says that God has given me songs in the night. Songs is an expression of joy. Singing is an expression of joy. Job was able to say I'm going to sing the praises of God no matter what's happening outside. And Job went through all kinds of horrible experiences. Job lost his family, his wife was against him, he lost his home he was plagued with all kinds of disease but he still said God gives me songs in the night how many are able to sing only when it's sunny outside That's what joy does. Doesn't matter. Much affliction, much affliction. They were able to praise much affliction. For greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. That's what brings you joy. It's the spirit of God that is in you. It is the spirit of God that is in you. That's very important. How many know what the word enthusiasm means? Does anybody? Enthusiasm. Very interesting word. It's a Greek word. En theos is a means God in us so when you hear the word enthusiasm you break it down it means the spirit of God in us do some homework and find out but here's my problem I always seem to have a problem and here's my problem if enthusiasm means the spirit of God or God and theos theos God spirit in me then why is it that some of us have been baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> Got a frown on our face, night and day, we're miserable, we're upset, we're What? What? Enthusiasm normally is something we look upon as somebody being passionate, excited, theos in me. In other words, the spirit we as believers are you ready should be the most enthusiastic people on the face of the earth because if the word is true then it's true spirit of God this is what set the Thessalonians apart they were 
passionate, enthusiastic, excited. And they couldn't be contained. Let me ask you ladies, I'm sure you boiled water in a pot. We all have. And I've, you know, I've tried to do that. I've, t- I've, I've tried to boil some pasta in a pot. And sometimes, being who I am, I leave it boiling too long. And, the pot, and all of a sudden, I hear funny noises in the kitchen, and the water's overflowing. You know, because you can't contain boiling water. It's going to overflow. Is that not true? Ladies, is this not true? And some of you men, is that not true? Is that not true? Well, what do you think joy is? It's a spilling over. It's, it's my cup that overflows. That's what happens when you experience the joy of the Lord. You can't contain it. Because it's not of this world. It's of the spirit realm. How could you be a believer in Jesus Christ back in that day, face death, face being imprisoned or killed, and still want to preach the truth of Christ? How can that be? There had to be something beyond the natural realm for them to be willing to do so. It is the joy of the Lord that is your what? Joy produces spiritual strength. It produces and propels you into another level. You take away the joy, you take away your strength, and you become the opposite. You become weak. You become like that jellyfish, spineless. No strength. It's your joy that you face in the midst of adversity. My God. Today, if you meet someone like that, with that joy like that, you think that person's out of his mind. You think he's a phony for sure. Why? Because you don't see it very much. Look, my friends, if Jesus has touched you, if you have been turned from idols like the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, 9, if you turned around from idols, my friends, something that's transformed your life, if you experience something like that, I can assure you there's going to be a change in you. My God, if you've been delivered from some kind of addiction, if God has set you free from some kind of an addiction like we've heard, if God had delivered you from that ditch, if God delivered you from drowning as David said in Psalm 18, if God has set you free from that, from that hospital bed, the doctor said you've got no chance, but somehow you survived it. People said there's no way you're going to make it, but somehow you made it. If that's your testimony, my friends, I can assure you, there'll be a joy that's unspeakable. and full of glory when I think of what the Lord has done what I read earlier David said in some if it hadn't been for the Lord I've been preaching about this for quite a bit the last few if it hadn't been for the Lord who rescued me who kept me from being ensnared in the net that people privately set up for me that's the words of David in other words, he protected me and I wasn't even aware of it. In other words, he set angels and camp around me to protect me when I didn't even know it. In other words, I, I, I should have died in that situation, but somehow God's grace intervened. Wow. Wow. You'd have joy, my friend. There'd be something in you You'd be a contagious believer. You're going to make a difference in people's lives. You can be sure of that. Look, you may not be able to change your problem, but you can change your perspective by your attitude. See, joy produces a good attitude. Joy gives birth to singing. Joy gives birth to looking at life from God's perspective. Joy gives birth to walking by faith and not by sight. Joy, 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 joy gives you eyes to see when you can't see. Uh, you know, there's an incredible story, true story, uh, of two, two boys, their parents, and they wanted to teach them a lesson about something, and uh, it was Christmas time, and so uh, one of the boys was a very negative child. He was always pessimistic, angry. 
The other one was very positive. And uh, actually, this young he was only 13, but he was a believer in Christ. And so the parents did something very strange, but they did it anyway. I don't think I would do this, but they did it. One day, Christmas, just before Christmas, and they, I think they celebrate, they opened up their gifts Christmas Eve. So they brought their boys into the rooms. And in one of the rooms, it was filled with toys. This was the negative boy. Filled with the latest toys. All kinds of toys. You know, G.I. Joe's and racing cars. If I had a racing car, when I would go nuts and all those eight tracks, you know what I'm talking about? All those train sets. And that, oh, I never had that. He had a train set, a car thing. He had G.I. Joe. He had all kinds of, all these toys. And, and he sees them and he looks at one of the toys that he gets. I believe it was a, this was just a true story. I think it was a Hulk, a Hulkamania, you know, I'm not sure. And he looks at the toy and says, no, he says, Mom, he says, this doesn't look like Hulk Hogan. This is not, this is not, this is not real. And he didn't really like what he got. Trains and toys. He was complaining that one of the toys didn't look like Hulk Hogan. And he didn't like what he got. <laughs> the other boy, this is a true story, folks. Get ready for this one. Walks into his room. It's filled with manure. Filled with manure in, in like, you know, uh, bags or whatever, some container of sorts. Filled with manure. Filled with manure in his room. Now, who makes up this stuff? This is real. And the boy looks and he's kind of perplexed a bit. But then a big smile, a big smile enters and you can see a smile from east to west. And the boy shouts out, looks to his mom and dad. He says, oh boy, mom, I'm so excited. All this poop. He says, well, there, there must be a pony somewhere. <laughs> what? There must be a, a pony. True story, I tell you, you don't make a, how? Well. Attitude. Attitude. Some of you receive all the gifts and you're not happy. You're miserable. Why? Your attitude's bad. While there's others may not have much, but they always see something good. See, when Jesus touches your heart, really touches it, somehow you're going to look at life and say, you know what, I may not understand this, but I'm going to trust God. See, when Jesus touches your life, truly touches, you're going to understand what it means in Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God. And not in the you're going to understand that God still has purpose in this. I don't see it. I don't understand. But I'm going to trust God. It looks like poop, but I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God that he's going to make a way through all of this manure. He's going to make a way through all of this attitude. You see, my friends, attitude is either your best friend or your worst enemy. Did you see that? And this, this will change the way you live and you will either be attractive to people with your attitude or you will repel people with your attitude. Who wants to hang around somebody who's always you know, negative, someone who's been baptized in pickle juice? You don't want to stick around with it. It's just not attractive. I don't want to hang around somebody like that. You're not attractive. You can't touch people like this. You can't bless people. You can't make an impression. You can't be influential. You'll never be contagious in a good way. If your attitude always smells, how do you expect people to be excited about Jesus if you're not excited about Jesus? Titus chapter 2, verse 7 to 10. I want you to see something so powerful. This has become one of my favorite scriptures. Titus chapter 2, quickly, if we have it. 
all, watch this now, watch this folks, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, watch this, in all things showing yourself a pattern. Notice the word pattern, that means lifestyle. That doesn't mean only a Sunday morning, that doesn't mean on Saturday morning, it doesn't mean on a Bible study, it's a pattern, it speaks of life, it speaks of daily commitment, a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, keep going, watch this now sound speech that cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary apart may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you keep going exhort servants to be obedient unto their masters and to please them well in all things not answering again what did we see here a pattern of good works that means be contagious and to verse 10 come to verse 10 watch verse 10 now not purloining, now watch this, but showing all good fidelity that they may, here's the word I want you to see. This is the word, adorn. Adorn is a Greek word, and I'll tell you what it means. Are you ready? Ladies, you're going to love this. Ladies are going to love this. And unfortunately, today in society, some men. Now watch this. The word adorn is the word cosmio, is where we get the English word cosmetics. The word adorn means cosmetics. So when someone wants to present themselves, ladies, you know, you want to, you're going out, nothing wrong, you put on maybe a little bit of lipstick, a little bit of, of, of what I used to call rouge, which is, I don't know what you call it today, and you got some eyeliner, I don't know what you want to do, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. As long as it's not too much, ladies, we're okay. Yeah, just a little bit. So what are you doing? You're adorning yourself with cosmetics what are you doing you're making yourself attractive true now some ladies don't wear makeup that's fine then you're attractive without it that's good i don't i don't i'm not i don't i'm just giving the purpose of cosmetics just to make yourself attractive amen, amen. can i ask you what is your purpose spiritually to make christ attractive that's what it means here adorn the doctrine of God our Savior by the way for those who don't believe that Jesus is God the doctrine of God our Savior everybody knows that Jesus is the Savior here we see his name God God our Savior speaking of Jesus in all things in other words my purpose is to make Christ attractive to the world raison d'etre that's what the Thessalonians did to make Christ attractive you see friends pe people may hate us because of Jesus they were hated because of Christ people may hate us because of Jesus but they should never hate Christ because of us I gotta say that again people listen may hate us because of Christ, but they must never hate Christ because of us. We adorn the gospel of Christ. Like these Thessalonians, they made Jesus, and they were contagious. Notice verse 8, they sounded out the word of God. The Greek word means to blast out. There were no secret agents with God. Do we have any secret agents in the house? New as a believer should never be a secret agent. Well, you know, Pastor Dino, my, my religion, when I hear that, my religion is personal. So please, out of my way, give me that 20 feet, in some cases 20 yards, and some 20 miles. Just nobody, it's personal. It's just, oh really? If Jesus is real in your life, it's, it is personal, but you want to get in people. You want to talk to people. You want to share the word with people. If Christ is real with you, you want others to experience what you've experienced. That's how I know it's real. And that's what happened to them. They blasted it out. They sounded out. They weren't ashamed of the gospel. And I'll tell you friends, when Jesus is truly in your life, you can be sure the first manifestation of that is you want to share it with others. But that was the weakest amen I've ever heard in my life. Thank you for one over there, my dear sister Jasmine. I know, you, I know you know what I'm talking about. Can I say that again? If Christ is real in your life, 
you're going to want others to know about it. Notice verse 8, to know about their faith in God. They wanted to tell others about their faith in God. Can I ask you something? You ever see people in the streets, you walk down the house, and you see these blue balloons and these pink balloons, and then you find that, you know, that, that someone has had a baby? You ever see those? In the, they're, they're announcing to the world, you know, I've got a little boy was born, and we're excited about telling people about our, our grandkids, and that a couple just had a baby, and we let the world know, we post it, we talk about it, we even have signs outside our house, we got balloons everywhere, I want everybody to know that I just had a boy. Amen. I'm excited about that too. I got five grandkids. I'm really excited about that. My ears are suffering, but I got great kids. Well, what, what about Jesus? See, they weren't ashamed to let the world know about their God. Can I ask you? Are you ashamed to talk about God? To let people know about the truth? Oh, pastor, I, I don't mind, but I don't want people to think bad of me. Then you don't have much conviction. You see, they talked about their faith in God, in what He is. Not in my power, not in my ability, not in my gifting. No, 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 no. In what he does. Because he's my ability in my inability. He's my sufficiency in my insufficiency. And he's my adequacy in my inadequacy. Because my brothers and my sisters, I declare to you this morning, as David did, some will trust in chariots, some will trust in horses, some will trust in their power, some will trust in their governments, some will trust in their money, but I will trust in the Lord my God, David said. <laughs> no, no, they blasted it out. They were obedient, and I got to close, so stay with me, a few more thoughts, very quickly. Watch this now. They blasted it out in obedience to God's word to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You see, baptismal candidates, and for all of us here at Logos, and for those on Facebook and YouTube, my responsibility is to bring the gospel to the ears of the people. That's God's responsibility is to take what we share in the ears of the people and bring it to their hearts. Only God can do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I think 3, three, oh, I couldn't, three 6 says, some plant, watch this now, some water, but what? God gives increase. Wow. Wow. Jesus called Peter and told him, you will be a fisher of men from now on, Peter. That's what these Thessalonians did. They were fishers of men. And I see a problem. Here's another problem I have today. The problem, my brothers and sisters, we have become keepers of aquariums rather than fishers of men. That's not our calling. Fishers of men. We are called, yes, to be in a community, in a church, but we're called to reach out to this world, to take what's within these walls and bring them outside of these walls, to share the love of God with people, to make a difference in people's lives, to, to do exactly what it says in Jude verse 23, to snatch them out, having compassion, having compassion, snatching them out of the fires, snatching them out of the fires of hell. Snatch, you got compassion, so much love for God, A, that translate love for others, B, and that translates C, a desire to witness and let people know that there's a greater way. That's what the Thessalonians did. To tell them about God's love and about grace and finally, verse 10, notice what the Bible says, they waited for the coming of the Lord. Did you see that? They waited for the coming of the Lord. Verse 10, they waited, they believed, watch this now, 
that Jesus Christ was coming again. I got to ask the church. I'm talking to Facebook. Do you believe Jesus Christ is coming again? If you believe that, it's going to change the way you live. 1 John 3.3 3, He that has this hope purifies himself. You're getting ready. Because he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. I'm getting ready. I'm doing what Jesus said to occupy until I come. I'm getting ready. They, they were so passionate for God they knew that he was coming again and they wanted to win as many people to Christ as possible. What a church. Sign me up. I want to be part of this church. I want to be part of this church. Got to close. Let me close. True story again. What a story this is. A man that belonged to a church, and the preacher was talking to him one day, and the pastor discussing things about what was going on in this man's life, and this man told him that his son was dying. And he went home that day, and he saw his wife crying. And he looked at his wife. He knew the problem, but he asked her, what's wrong, honey? What's the matter? She goes, uh, says, well, you know that uh, our son and the doctor came and, and said he doesn't have much time to live. And the father went into his son's room and his son looked at him. He says, Father, Dad, I'm going to be with Jesus today. He's only 14 years old. He was young, but he knew Christ. Sometimes 14-year-olds can teach us adults in our 30s and 40s and 50s what it means to serve Jesus. He said, Daddy, he said, Daddy, 14-year-old, it's okay. I know what the doctor said, but I'm, I'm going to be with Jesus today and possibly tonight. His father turned his head, his eyes filled with tears, he didn't want his son to see him like that. And the son said, Daddy, don't cry. <laughs> don't cry. He says, when I go to heaven, I'm going to tell Jesus how you loved me. I'm going to tell Jesus that you cared for me. I'm going to tell Jesus what a great father you are. I'm going to tell Jesus all that. I'm going to tell him what a great father you are. I thought about that. Brothers and sisters, baptismal candidates. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, that we can tell others. That we can tell our sons, our daughters, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, that we can tell those that work beside us in the office. Oh, oh, if we can tell others uh, what a great heavenly father we have, uh, what a great God we serve, how much he loves us, how much he cares for us. Don't worry, Daddy. I'm going to tell Jesus what a great Can we tell the world what a great father we have? When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he healed me, how he delivered me, how he rescued me, makes me want to shout. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory, all the honor. Makes me want to shout. Makes me want to speak it out. Baptismal candidates, don't ever be ashamed. Speak it out and tell people when I think about the Lord, what he's done for me. Makes me want to shout. That's why the church of the Thessalonians was so powerful. What about the church of Logos or the church 
of Facebook and the church of YouTube. Amen. We serve an awesome God. Let the world know how great he is. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his soul. Can we stand together, please? Oh, sing it again. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is with bless his I'll tell you why, because he has done great. That's why I'm gonna declare it. Oh my God, He has done great things. Come on now, I'm going to declare it to the world.